Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Football Social Daily, Premier League Review. Hello, welcome to Football Social Daily. This is the Sunday Premier League Review show. Another week's action in the top flight of English football and another week's worth of talking points. The game taken centre stage this weekend was the North London derby. We've also seen some other tasty ties across the weekend's action. Joining me, Niall McCorn, in the studio today to dissect everything that's happened over the weekend, we've got Johnny Sharples. Hello, Johnny. Hello. We've got Stephen McInerney. Hello, Stephen. Bonjour. And we've got Alex Hilton. Hello, Alex. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good, mate. I'm very good. I'm looking forward to talking about all the games that's happened this weekend. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a show seven days a week. There's only one place we can start, really, because it probably was the marquee game of the weekend, although it's hard to say that sometimes in the Premier League because you do get games that sometimes throw out results that you're not expecting. Not so much of that this weekend, but certainly plenty of talking points. The North London derby, Arsenal against Tottenham Hotspur. The game finished 2-2. There were plenty of incidents in the game. I just want to start by maybe getting, not a controversial opinion off my chest, but I was speaking to, to you, Alex, about this. I don't think the North London derby, in terms of British derbies or derbies in British football, is anywhere near the top five. I oh top five's a big call. Not I, in terms of not maybe not the rivalry is the wrong word. In terms of the hostility and the aggression and just everything that I like to associate with the derby, I so don't think it's anywhere the top close. Five then? Who's in the top five then? Well, I think you have to put the old firm in there. <laughs> yeah, just the war, isn't it? I think really? you have, well, yeah. That's when, Can I just is. point out that only one derby seen a police horse get punched? <laughs> <laughs> the time um, weird derby, of course. Yeah, that's up there for me as well. It's a horrible match because Newcastle have a terrible record in win. recent years. No, but you need um, Shola Amiobi back. He used to we always do. Score. Kevin Nolan, but thankfully they've decided to do the honourable thing and get themselves relegated to League One, so we don't <laughs> have to um, compete against them anymore. At least not until we get relegated that far down, is, is rather that, than them getting promoted that far up. Is that our measuring? measuring a derby by the size of the animal that has to take a beating yep. for it to be a legitimate derby. So, for example, Southampton and Bournemouth, uh, not a derby a until like, a cat gets strangled or a seagull gets punched. Yeah. It's yeah. to do with nicknames, though, because you sort just of. have people throwing <laughs> cherries at each other. That's what it's meant to do. Anyway, Stephen McInerney has very slyly turned that question around back onto me. Of, oh, OK, what is your top five yeah, then? Yeah, I know. But I, I just don't think in terms of the way the game's played nowadays, maybe that's harsh for me, but, I mean, what do you think in that in- um, I think I, I think it's a derby. I think it's a, it's. I think it's one of my. It's, it's definitely <laughs> geographically a derby. Of all the derbies, this is definitely one of them. After that donkey got, I was put in a headlock back in '96. Uh, um, no donkeys were harmed in the making of the Northern Derby, as far as I'm aware. Um, I think yeah, it's a, it's a derby. It's one that I look forward to. I don't think it is as fierce as the derbies, uh, no matter what Tottenham Arsenal fans will tell you. But no disrespect to it, I just find that um, it's. 
in recent years, one of the most important because it generally uh, determines the top four. And I think it's also the standard of the two teams. It's always attractive. It's always open. There's excitement. Just as today's game was, there there were so many chances at either end. Um, And actually, I thought this one was an especially tasty one. You had uh, Granite Jacker trying to turn it into (laughs) sort of an MMA match rather than a football match. And and I think it's one that, as both teams become more competitive, it's got more interesting. Because I think why it might not seem as tasty to people who aren't fans of either team is that Tottenham have generally been rubbish in it and Arsenal have always been the the better side. Whereas now, this morning, I think you look at that game, you have no real idea what's going to happen. And I think that's what makes a great derby. With Arsenal having Kolasinac, with them having Xhaka playing, with them having Torreira, Socrates, Luis playing, it was always going to be scrappy from their end anyway. The bit further up the pitch, you've got Aubameyang and Lacazette and Pepe that have, you know, the flair players that are doing well. But when you've got them behind them, there's always going to be flying into challenges, you know, winding up the likes of Kane, who's obviously passionate about Spurs, you know, Davison Sanchez, Danny Rose was getting into a bit of bother. So... I think they they sort of yeah they sort of wound each other up enough to sort of have those flare flare ups and, and make it a bit more interesting than otherwise it would have been. And you've got Harry Kane that's sort of the he's not so much a secret weapon anymore because he's like the, <laughs> one of the most famous footballers in the world. But Spurs now have that person that can just destroy Arsenal almost single handedly. That for for a long time when they were the poor of the sides they didn't have Arsenal. Obviously had the likes of Homery and people like that. Mm. Spurs never really had anyone like that. And I think he's now the top scorer in Premier League North London derby. He is ten goals now. So. Yeah. So I think he's taken overtaken Adebayor who cheated because he played for both of them um, <laughs> but yeah now they've got someone like Harry Kane they're in with a fair shout well when we're going to talk about Spurs' form it's not good is it in the Premier no, League we go not. back so just one win this season so far what is it at the end it was like draws and losses constantly well not- I mean there was a good stat floating around about Roy Hodgson and Crystal Palace last week that since the start of February or I think yeah the start of February only Manchester City and Liverpool have picked up more points than Crystal Palace, um, who have picked up around 30 points or so since the the start of February, which is magnificent in terms of Crystal Palace's form. But if you look at the same table and you go all the way down towards the bottom, Spurs are probably in the bottom five of sides that have picked up points since that date. So since then, and we spoke about it on last week's show, you know, they've had the Champions League run and they got to the final, but I mean, their their league form's definitely tailed away. Oh, I think absolutely, though. But the chat, I think uh, Pochettino made a decision. I think at some point last season, maybe March, April, where that Champions League run was on, and there was an incredible belief around the Spurs squad. Mm-hmm. I think, especially after uh, they rested players the weekend before they played City at the Etihad, and then from that point onwards, that 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 moment uh, uh, among in Tottenham fandom just seemed to be maybe this could happen, anything could happen. And I think that bled into the team. And there was definitely an attitude of putting the Champions League ahead of the Premier League. And their form tailed off. So maybe it's not necessarily representative of how poor they were at the end of last season because Spurs were, were great going into the end of last season. Uh, but I think, you know what? They've meddled with the team and they've brought new faces in. And players like Ndombele is still finding his Premier League feet and Lo Celso hasn't come in yet. Mm. And I don't think panic stations set in for Spurs. Um, I think you can't afford to drop the points that they're dropping already uh, if you're going to be title contenders, which a lot of Tottenham fans will they're be looking for. They're, they're, they're not, but I, I think... I just don't think they are, unfortunately. Look, look, again, today, I think this is a massive gap between... I'm not just saying this from the perspective of a City fan. It just, just genuinely feels like no one's quite... No one near the City and Liverpool at the moment. It just feels no. like there's a massive gap between the quality of these teams. They're very open. They can all score goals, obviously. Son going forward. Uh, then you have Kane as well, and Aubameyang, a lot of them. But... They just seem so open defensively. Like their game today was defined by mistakes just as much as it was good football. And 
I, I don't know. I just can't really see him anywhere the, near. Is that good enough points. for Spurs then? Because if you look at Spurs as a, as, as a as a side off last season, one of the most exciting seasons in their history, getting to a Champions League final, they've got that great first eleven, eleven that could beat anyone in the world world football last year. I think on their day, eleven versus eleven, they could take anyone. Uh, and that's why they got to the final of the world's greatest club competition. And they've added to that and they've brought in two or three players. And the next step for Spurs has to be title contenders, which I think is why a lot of their fans, not all, but a lot of their fans, talk about themselves as a team that could compete for the title. And to finish the point I made before, I think that they shouldn't worry as yet because it's early days and those players are bleeding in. But surely Potch has got to look upwards. They've got them to a Champions League final, amazing achievement. They've still not won anything. But they've got to be looking at it as like, we're now a team that's going to compete for trophies and we're going to get to a cup final and we're going to take the title race into April and May and not be out of it by November. I tend to agree with you there. But I do think that, you know, people that say Spurs and Poch in particular needs to win a trophy and all of this. What's more important for Spurs supporters? Is it maintaining themselves as a force in the Premier League and, and consistently finishing top four and consistently having a stab at the but Champions League. That's really what, clash, though. Uh, uh, they, this is the thing. I know what this, they do. I, I'm just thinking, you know, the days out at Wembley, that's what you live for, isn't it, as a football fan? The yeah, days out lifting silverware. Uh, you know, for instance, they won the League Cup. Is one League Cup really going to represent how good Spurs have been over I the think, last five winning years? Is, winning's a habit, though, isn't it? I, I, that's why I feel. Winning's a habit. Like, you need to get a taste of it. You want more of it. And it's an incentive. And also, say you win the League Cup in late February. Like, that is such a, a kaboon for the rest of the season. It pushes you on a little bit more. You've got that taste of collective joy together. And you can basically start... Uh, well, you've got that, that home stretch at the end of the season with a positive, with a trophy behind you. I think there's no better kind of, like, spur on in the season than winning the Carabao Cup. People undervalue it, but I think it's fantastic in terms of the incentive and the emotion that it gives you at that moment. Like, I don't know. I think people underplay these trophies because like, they've got their eyes on the bigger ones. But winning is, is, is it's just a habit. And like the best teams win consistently and often, and they chase that. I, I don't know. I don't understand why people put down uh, the, the, the domestic cups in this country. I really don't get it because I think they're really, really important. And also, as a, as, a, as a fan, that's what you talk about. You, yeah, you, you talk to um, like you talk to blokes who watched football in the sixties. They'll always go, "Ah, oh, well, I remember when my team won the cup and we went to Wembley and yes. blah, blah, blah. They never go. What you I remember that year. That we, I remember that year that we finished third and we only had the sixth best squad in the division. <laughs> yeah, no one says that. Well, they were two 0 up in the North London yep. derby. Arsenal scored just before half time. Went into half time two one, and then Arsenal eventually, with a Bamiyang uh, later on in the game, managing to grab the equaliser. I was saying before that Harry Kane. I always feel totally confident uh, as an England supporter when he stood over a penalty. Um, but what about the penalty that Spurs were given? An awful decision in the box by Granite Xhaka to dive in, slide in on Son, who is always dangerous in the box. We know this, but it's just totally and utterly brainless from Xhaka to slide in and give away a penalty. Uh, I mean, it's such a weird one, isn't it? Because Granite Xhaka is one of those uh, players that... It's such a cliche of English football, and it comes right out of the Big Sam playbook. But it's it's his job to pick up yellow cards. And there's the cliche bell. There it is. Thank first you very time, much. first one of the show. Well done, Alex. Thank you. On my debut as well. I'll take it. Uh, it's got my a score on your debut. You're it's... going a good run of form now. Well, I'm one of those. I'm one of those guys where it's my job to pick up cliche bells. Um, hey. There we go. <laughs> no extra point. I just felt like dinging it. Thanks. But yeah, you know that's what they're saying. And it, you know, there, there is an art to it as defensive midfielder, but it's it, it's making those decisions and throwing yourself in two-footed a player in the box it's just I see what you mean stopping a break on the halfway line fair enough right because that's that's Fernandinho isn't it as a City fan you would have seen that time and time again inside the box in a derby game when you're already 1-0 down and just lunging in aimlessly from Mikey 
Son could have telegraphed that from, uh, you know, the other side of London because he's come flying across the box and it's just Son's just shifted the ball to the side of him oh, man, and, and waited for the contact. It's so late. Northern Rail would have been proud of that one. It was just <laughs> like miles off. And it, it, it was, we watched it back together um, before the show. And I, even now, I still feel like it, it just seems, it's it's schoolboy. Like, you know, when you're about 11 or maybe even younger and you sort of discover what, you see like a brilliant slide tackle and then you go out and play football with your mates and it's been wet, raining and the mud is wet and you just keep going and it's just, and you and you just you're not even going for the ball you're going straight for ankle just for the, the thrill it feels like that and this is coming from a a seasoned veteran it just it's odd and maybe the emotion of a, of playing in a derby got to him a little bit but it's poor well you didn't even get booked for it but Gary Neville said something interesting Johnny he said Xhaka is an experienced player who never seems to get experienced which I thought was a really nice little quote because it's so true. How many games is he going to play before he really needs to tighten his game up? You can give away fouls, but you know, giving away fouls like that and making stupid rash decisions when Arsenal are already fragile in certain areas of the field, you don't need other teammates doing that. No, I think he's sort of in a position where Arsenal have, have never really recovered from losing Patrick Vieira and <laughs> Gilberto Silva from absolute... like over a decade yeah. ago now, like 15 years ago. And I don't think they've ever found that replacement for him. And I think Xhaka probably model, probably looks at himself in the mirror and sees a combination of Gilberto Silva and, and Patrick Vieira. <laughs> but in reality, he gets on the pitch and he, he's doing things that neither of them would ever think of because they knew when to time their tackles. They knew when to do the tactical fouls, not in the box, on the halfway line. That's where you're supposed to do them. And I think he's just... I can see why Arsenal fans get so frustrated with him because there is elements to his game that he's obviously very good at. He can he can hit a free kick. He can, he can hit, well. Yeah, he can pass. He can hit shots from you know thirty yards. But he he knows he can hit shots from thirty yards. But sometimes they're they're flying out of the Emirates. You know they're going all over the place. And yeah, he's just a very frustrating player. I think you look at Torreira how he was at the end of last season. I wonder why he's not in the team ahead of Xhaka because he was phenomenal especially in the North London derby last season where he ended up scoring he was really good and I don't know why he's not cementing his place ahead of ahead of Xhaka and they've got rid of El Neni now and, and yep. that space for them and I think they lined up quite wrong today they, um, yeah. they went with like three defensive players and three there was no one back, to link yeah. up I mean three at the back of Socrates, David Luiz and uh, Kolasinac here's, here's a stat for you isn't it it's crazy uh, Granit Xhaka has given away five penalties in the Premier League since his debut in 2016. No player in the competition has exceeded more in that time frame. Wow, okay. So King Xhaka giving away penalties just keep there. him away from the box. Yeah, just he has a rule, can't go in the yeah. air. I mean, but Emery, like five let, aside. Let's yeah, be yeah. fair to <laughs> Arsenal here. They brought in David Luiz to try and solve some defensive issues. Which is uh, a bad idea uh, in the first you know, place. Well, yeah, of course, we know how good and bad David Luiz can be sometimes in the same game as we saw last week against Liverpool. First half was good, second half was shocking. Being a little bit kinder to Unai Emery here with the resources he's got, of course, he's still got uh, Kieran Tierney to come back into the fold, Hector Bellerin to come back into the fold. So that's two fullbacks. So is he kind of, is are his hands tied a little bit in terms of the formations he can play and the personnel he can play, just purely because of what he's got out injured at the moment? He spent £72 million on someone that, did he really, really need him, <laughs> truth be told, when they've got obvious holes elsewhere. Centre-backs, you didn't need to sign Pepe when, you, you know, that amount of money. He's had about out. 72 got, shots as well and not scored a single goal yet. Yeah. So. They got a lad, didn't they? That young French lad. That they sent that back they loaned home. out for, was it like 30 million? And that's why they got Luis in, which sort of does make sense. But Luis was a stopgap defender and Socrates was a stopgap defender. Mm. And they both started today. 
and you're supposed to sort of only really have one stopgap or one third choice. <laughs> when, does it, when does it become your first choice plan eventually? Exactly. <laughs> so I think he may, he had the money there. Maybe, you know, the the way that the deal for Pepe was structured meant that they could get it done this time. But yes. that money could have gone elsewhere on a, on a better, you know, player that fits the system or more than one player it's, to fit Tony's the system. Good. He'll be good when he comes in. Right. Yeah, and Tony as well, it was 25 mil, yeah. I think. Uh, I do watch a fair bit of Scottish football and I think he's someone who, um, that could well be one that in two or three years look, we look back at as absolutely great like business. Robertson-esque kind of thing. Yeah, and also I think, and dare I say, he's a little bit more versatile than Andrew Robertson. You can play Tierney a bit further up the pitch and you can play him on the wing and, and so on. Um, is there not something about Arsenal? And I feel like I, I might get uh, some Twitter backlash for this. <laughs> but almost United-esque, that I think United had this problem in the summer, where players that Arsenal want to play for them have better offers uh, than Arsenal at the minute. And Arsenal's a massive club and they've got a great stadium and they are world famous and there are people all over the world that would die to play for Arsenal. But at this point in time, when they're not in the Champions League, there is no guarantee they're going to come straight back into the Champions League. Um, Elite players generally have got better offers either in Spain or Germany or or for the top four. And I think probably, you know, when Arsenal were massive, they found it tough to... When they were, when they were in the top four, they were finding it hard to sign players and get the players they want. And it seemed they were quite often going for their second or third choice. Uh, Nicolas Pepe at 72 million. The jury is still out on that four games. But w- with every game he goes without a goal, the word flop will get bigger and bigger and bigger. And you go, well, hang on a minute, where, where are these magical fullbacks and centre-halves that they're supposed to sign? Because people go, well, why didn't Arsenal go out and get a 60 million centre-back? 60 million centre-backs don't want to play for Arsenal. No. They want to play in the Champions League. And centre-backs are the flavour of the month. Everyone needs a decent yeah. defender right now. So. I think there's a recruitment problem, though, because like, look at, like, largely, people don't really think about this much, but like, Liverpool weren't signing players at the very top of the game that's got them somewhere. Like, Marnie's become what he is at Liverpool. Salah's become what he is at Liverpool. Uh, even Van Dijk, I know he went for a lot of money, but he wasn't like, we did have Real Madrid and Barcelona compete with you so and even City like Gabriel Jesus was only like you know 25 million Leroy Sarney would have gone to Arsenal if they're in from at the time like all these players like those kind of players would go to Arsenal it's just that I think it's a recruitment problem like they're spending their money in the wrong places or something like that or they haven't got the creativity uh, in terms of transfers to I, I, pull I, I disagree I think City's transfer business and this this all goes to uh, Caldoun and to um, uh, Ferran Soriano and Chiqui mm-hmm. um is that it's so well planned at City, and the money is. Spent, well, that's the point I'm making. But, but it, it, it's it's sort of two or three years ahead, and every single every signing is made. Arsenal, to be fair, under Wenger, were making those sorts of signings. But you also need to have a marquee player that's going to lead the line for you. Otherwise, you've got a squad of squad players. Is that not what Pepe is though? Is that not? Yeah, is that what uh, he's yeah, meant yeah, to yeah, be? The sure. marquee player. Sure, but also uh, if he if he doesn't become your elite player that's going to carry the team in the way that, say, Sanchez did for a couple of years for them, is that you need that player that's going to guarantee you almost on their own back, it's going to drag you to top four football and have a squad of those younger players that you can develop around them. Instead, what they've had, it's felt like they did it with Fabregas, did it with like Van Persie. Um, there's two or three examples that are kind of uh, out my head as well, but players that it seems that they developed for two years, they realise they're too good for Arsenal at 23, and then they move to Barcelona or they move to, to work to any other bigger club. Alexander Kleb can't forget him what a guy what a guy <laughs> um, let's uh, let's leave it there for the uh, Arsenal Spurs chat 2-2 that game finished in the Premier League on Sunday let's stay in London though and rewind a day let's go to Stamford Bridge where Chelsea played Sheffield United in a game that also finished 2-2 Tammy Abraham on the score sheet Stephen you've spoken about how this is an exciting season for, for Chelsea for the youth that Frank Lampard 
has to sort of yeah. deploy, really. His hands are forced for it. Tammy Abraham showing that he can score goals in the Premier League. If the service is there, he can, he can find the back of the net. He's a finisher. He's a, a natural-born finisher. I mean, there's still some like question marks whether he'll be able to adapt like fully. Into, to be able to, basically, doing just a goal score isn't always enough for a top team these days, as we know, because... Um, you've got to be able to contribute around the pitch and all that kind of stuff. But at the moment, he's scoring goals. Um, I think he's got four goals so far this season. Is that right? Someone correct me if I'm wrong. But I think it's certainly something like that. Uh, and yeah, Mount's doing really well. They've got Tamori in the team. They've got Reese James coming back soon. Hudson Adoy, Loftus Cheek, a lot of them. And um, once again, I thought Chelsea were genuinely really good for the first 60 minutes. And <laughs> they've got like a concentration problem. Or uh, they've got a, maybe it's a bunch of new players who. And they're all quite young as well. They're a relatively young team. They have got some experience in there, actually. But mm. it's 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 a project, isn't it? And I think more than most teams in the top six at the moment, I think Chelsea are very much work in progress. I think they've got every right to be as well, given the situation. And the, the hands are literally tied at the moment in terms of the transfer window and all that kind of stuff. Um, I like what they're doing there. I think it's interesting. And um, eventually, these you know they'll be two all up and they'll just... You know, they won't see too. I think that'll happen and they'll start winning games, give it a little bit of time and um, give Lampard, just give him the space he needs. But the most important thing for me, if I was a Chelsea fan, would be that they're playing decent football. And I think they actually are. Mm. Um, it's, it's just got to be patient with them. I know Chelsea aren't famously patient, but I think I think they will start winning games and I think they'll end up finishing in the top six. And I think mm. Chelsea fans should be happy with that because then they'll spend some money in the summer. And It's a really interesting time. And um, I think they should just try and enjoy it for what it is. Yeah, Frank Lampard still hunting for that elusive first three points as Chelsea manager at Stamford Bridge. But we've got to give credit to Sheffield United, Johnny, to be fair, the way they came back. We we know that although they might not be the highest quality team in the Premier League, they're, they're always going to give 100%. They're, they're a spirited side. They always put a shift in. They work really hard. And I think we touched on it last time I was here a couple of weeks ago. The, the style of football that they play is quite different to a lot of what we've seen before. It's not just in the Premier League, not just in the Championship, but... You know, across football with these, and everyone talks about the overlapping centre backs, <laughs> but it is incredibly <laughs> weird to watch. And I think, not just as fans adapting to watch it, but opposition opposition sides are sort of having to learn how to work their way around it because it's not something that a top Premier League team has probably come across before. Um, you know, the teams at Norwich that came up with them, Villa that came up with them, will have played against them last season. But for clubs like, not just like the big ones, but like Newcastle or Burnley or someone, it's almost on their, you know, similar level with this entire new system that they're going to have to learn to adapt to. And yeah, they're just working really hard. And I think all these players obviously love playing for Chris Wilder. And I think the passion of the fans, and this is a, a big chance for a lot of these players that he's brought in. The likes of Callum Robinson was at Preston, probably never thought he'd get a, a decent shot at a Premier League <laughs> team. And now he's going to make the most of it. And it's the same for Ollie McBurney. It's the same for a lot of the other players that they've yeah. got. This is their big chance to prove themselves at the highest possible level. And they're going to make the most of it and they're going to do everything they can. And I think it goes to the same for Chris Wilder as well. He's got mm. a point to prove. He's, you know, he's a, a British manager don't really get the chance unless you're a, a promoted side that's come from the championship. You've got a lot to prove and he, he's really proven it with these sort of interesting innovations, the players he's picking, the results he's picking up as well. And actually, it's such a great job to have as well because it's all net for Chris Wilder. Like The expectation is absolute zero. So any result he's going to get, every single game they're going to go into, bar possibly Norwich at home, people are expecting Sheffield to get nothing. So every single point, will be, oh, Chris Wilder's doing a great job, isn't it? And it, it's all net, everything's net. And the, the players they've bought, they look very much like a championship squad. But I, I personally think that's the best way for a club like Sheffield, where 
they're probably going to go down despite their good start. That's they're probably still going to go down. But they've bought loads of players there that are young, predominantly uh, British, that could well stay with Sheffield and would instantly go in as one of the top two or three squads in the championship and could get them straight back up. Um, and, and there's no there's no player there that seems to be, I don't know what the way structure's like, but there's no player there that you're going to be lumbered with that that massive risk that you took, which I think Fulham are struggling with, where you bought a couple of players in on big salaries and now you've gone down and didn't work out, you've lumbered with them. They remind me a bit of when Bournemouth first came up to the Premier League, just yeah, in terms of a, a similar way of playing. It's just quite fluid football, um, but also a lot of the players Bournemouth had when they came up in 2015, I think it was, um, they had had from like their League One days. Yeah, and this is a similar story at Sheffield United. You've got players there that were playing in League One and League Two well, not three league, seasons long, ago. League One or three years ago, yeah, they? exactly. Not down. two or three seasons ago, they've got players. You know, like Ender Stevens, for example, was playing in League Two in 2017, and here we are in 2019, and he's skinning Athlequeta, one of the best defenders in the Premier League over the last five seasons, and laying one across on a plate for for an assist. So you know, you've got these players that are chomping at the bit to do well. I think they'll stay up. I think they do. I think it's um, it's they very much, and I think Chris Wilder, like everything he said in the press conference afterwards, or, or he was very much like, look, look where we were, you know, like. Uh, we're not here. He said. He said we're not day trippers getting autographs and collecting shirts. So very much they've got a very us against the world kind of vibe to the way they're approaching the season. And I really like it because it's kind of it's not apologetic in the slightest. They feel like they deserve to be there. Um, and as you said, it's relatively low key signings compared to what most clubs try and do when when Fulham when he bought Sherla back and all that kind of stuff, you know, and bought established players and stuff. And I think their energy and um, the kind of like people will underestimate them. I'm not going to say they'll probably just about scrape it up, but. I just got a feeling they'll stay up because they they seem they seem fiery they seem passionate you know the the fans are totally behind them. Um, Chris Wilder he's he's got a bit of, he seems kind of like he seems not angry but like he obviously wants to be, make sure people respect Sheffield United and players it, obviously play. He's a Sheffield United fan, isn't he? So yeah, he wants yeah, people to recognise his club. He cares. Can be an established club and he's speaking partially as a partially as a manager and he wants to respect for his players, but he's speaking as a fan as well. He wants the respect of his club and he wants people to recognise that they are a top level team. <laughs> they were one of the, yeah. they were one of the, you know, founding members of the Premier League. They scored the first Premier League goal with Brian Dean. So Brian they they sort of, you know, he wants them to, to people to recognise that that they're not they're not a Man United but they have a right to be in the Premier League and they also uh, shouldn't have gone down with the old Carlos Tevez and the West Ham thing all those years ago <laughs> yeah. was that 2008 maybe uh, there's a picture uh, room in the dressing room they're like. still, they're still <laughs> angry about that. Yeah. that Sheffield United West Ham game will be tasty absolutely I mean I think go very quickly going back to Wallet I think <laughs> the, the, the attitude is is electric and he seems to be cultivating this simultaneously we've earned our place to be here but we understand that we're outsiders and it means that every goal Sheffield United score feels like double and it feels like a cup final because they're a the little plucky team getting away with it. And that that creates a great atmosphere. Every single time mm-hmm. you walk in, there's there's no pressure on the team. They can go out and play the way they want and enjoy the moment, enjoy being in the Premier League. Yeah. And when players enjoy themselves, they play well. Yeah. You and know? it looked like good good scenes in the away end as well at Stamford Bridge with the Sheffield fans. Uh, there was a few limbs knocking around, which is good Absolutely. to see. And I, did, I do think they will go down, but I also said that about Burnley, I said it about Huddersfield, <laughs> I said it about Blackpool, Swansea, Bournemouth. So, Prove me wrong, Sheffield. And it'll be interesting <laughs> to see how, um, if they do stay up, what they do with the squad because they'll have an extra, you know, they'll have money for finishing where they finish, wherever that is. They'll have the extra TV money, TV revenue. Do they then that invest that in more established players or do they look back to the top of the championship, take some more championship players, take some more risks or just settle on what they have again and, you know, just keep trying to plug away and, and move up one position each time. So Chelsea 2, Sheffield United 2 at Stamford Bridge. Great result for the Blades and for Chris Wilder. So I'm looking forward to seeing how they do through the remainder of the season. But before we take a quick break, it's time for this. 
proper cheesy music because it, it's time for Play Your Yellow Cards Right and I can't claim any credit for the naming of this feature. Thank you. <laughs> it's Johnny Sharples. Checks in the check, post. Yeah, checks in the post. Thank you. 1-1-0. <laughs> After Granite Xhaka's ridiculous decision to dive in on Son on the box and give away a penalty in the North London derby, we've decided to play a game of play your yellow cards right. So Xhaka, with his booking, eventually coming in the 92nd minute, as I said before. After seven fouls, by the way, how many fouls does it take to get a yellow card these days in the Premier League? Um, sometimes you get a yellow card for stupid stuff like diving, which we'll talk about uh, regarding Jack Grealish in the Crystal Palace Aston Villa game a little bit later on. So we're going to take it in turns. We'll go around the table, start with Johnny, then we'll go for Steve, and then we'll go for Alex. I'm going to give you a player that's played in the Premier League that has a reasonable amount of yellow cards. I'm not going to throw in a wild card that's got like one yellow card ever or something stupid. Let's go for it. <laughs> Obligatory, annoying, cheesy quiz music. Um, we'll start with you, Johnny. So, 27 yellow cards for Granite Xhaka. Yeah. Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, former <laughs> Chelsea striker. Oh, my word. Higher or lower? Play your yellow cards. He played, he played for a long time, didn't he? Um, but he wasn't the sort... I know, like, Kevin Davis picked up a lot of yellow cards. Peter Crouch picked up a lot. But he wasn't that sort of physical player. So, I'm going to go for lower... Oh. Higher than Hasselbank. 44. Wow. Yellow 44. For what Jimmy in the dressing Floyd room? Hasselbank. 44 yellow cards. That's a ridiculous amount of cards. Um, four. Okay. Got the reasons. Oh, <laughs> we want well, 44 reasons. I don't know why he's got 44 yellow cards. He just <laughs> has, okay. He was quite as a manager at Burton, though. I think from my memory of him, he was pretty, I'm not sure. pretty well, vocal. In... This is according to the official Premier League website. So if you've got an issue, take it up with them. I don't want to deal well, with it. Well, maybe them. I will. Maybe <laughs> not again. Um, okay. So 44 yellow cards for Jimmy Floyd, Hasselbank, Stephen McInerney, Jamie Redknapp, former <laughs> Liverpool and Spurs and Southampton midfielder in the Premier League. He was a bit soft, wasn't he, really? I'm going to go for, I'm gonna go for less. It is less. Oh, yeah, he was just a bit like, he never tackled. He was Four. never being a bit of a... He was never on the pitch, mostly. Yeah, he was always injured, never tackled. 42. 42. Close so, one, though. Okay, uh, how confident are you feeling, by the way, Alex? Uh, all right, okay, okay. It depends on the question, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Chris Brunt. Oh! Former West Bromwich Albion. Um, he's still at West Bromwich Albion. Say former West Bromwich Albion. He's still at West Bromwich Albion. More than 42. I will um, up. He's not played at left many, back for a bit, didn't he? How many Premier League yeah. seasons? I'm going to go. Oh, I don't know that much information. <laughs> I'm going to go lower. Oh. <laughs> it's not. It's uh, actually 50. Oh, Chris. Nice round number. Savage. 50 yellow cards for Chris Brunt. Like Who would have thought that? That's a lot. Right, okay. Back around the table. We're going to Johnny again. Can't wait for the music to kick back in. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know what I don't I don't like picking defenders here because I feel that that it's just obvious that they're going to have more. So well, now you've given the game away. Not really, because I could say someone like Ian Wright. Well, he's not a defender. Exactly. So I mean, if you said defender. Okay, I'll say a defender then. (laughs) uh, Check Tiose. Check. Oh, God bless his soul. Rest in peace, Check. I think he picked up five five yellow cards in his first five games. Extrapolate that across the whole season. That's thirty-eight yellow cards a season. Not taking into account. <laughs> season. <laughs> um, um, I'm going to go higher than, higher than fifty for for Chetiato. Correct. Hey. Well wow. Fifty-two. Just by two. Just by two. What a week for a whole year. Okay. <laughs> Over to Stephen McInerney. Cool. Um, oh, do you know what? Who should I pick? 
Ooh, let's go with Titus Bramble, another Newcastle oh, wow. legend. A walking wow. red card. I don't know about yeah. yellow cards. Ooh, How many were straight reds? I reckon a lot of double yellows because he was just clumsy as anything. Um, he's, 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 uh, I'm going higher. It is higher. Yeah, 61. He was just clumsy, wasn't he? Clumsy. He, he was clumsy. Okay. Um, Alex, Sesc Fabregas. Oh. Longevity. So, here's a question, by the way. You only get uh, two yellows that count, and then a red. Does that count as a oh. yellow and a red? Or, Do you know what? I don't know. It's a really two good yellows. question. It'll be two yellows because you get shown the second yellow before. So, but that might just be a so quirk of get, stats. Can you get like three cards then? A yellow, yellow, and a yeah, red. You get two More than I get for my birthday. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Go on then, Cesc Fabregas, and then we'll do oh, once more around the table. I, I, uh, it was pretty, pretty nasty second time around at Chelsea. Uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go higher. It is uh, higher. Yeah, I agree. Seventy-one. Seventy-one. Yellow yes. cards. I think now it's just scrolling Cesc up. Fabregas. Now, so go higher. <laughs> He's just scrolling up the page. <laughs> He's at the bottom of the page. You watching my trackpad? <laughs> I don't like this. I'm getting found out very, very quickly. Here on Football Social Daily. Right, we'll go once more around the table. Johnny. Mark Noble. Oh, Plain central midfield. Likes a tackle. Angry looking man. <laughs> I'm going to go lower. Nah, three figures. Oh. Three figures? No, he's 76. <laughs> It looks good. You've looks done him good out of, for 76. You've done him out of 24 yellow cards there, Alex. That's <laughs> slightly harsh. Okay, I, I will say now, we are, we're we talking players now that are in... I'm, I'm on the page where there's a lot. A lot. Uh, Richard Dunn. Did you not imagine <laughs> the same thing bring, for Steve McInerney? I knew you were going to bring him up. Richard Dunn. He's, he's got to be him. It's not a known... If it was a known Higher. goal quiz... Higher. Higher than Mark Noble? Yes. It's wrong. Oh, 74. Just, he... What, you, what was Noble? 76. Ah, so there's two in it. Say, really. There's two in it. Go, go even. Round it up to 76. <laughs> um, I always I feel, I feel like you always get in the hard ones. Uh, Lee Catamol. Oh, surely. <laughs> surely higher. Yeah. Surely. It is there higher. It's 88. He's um, yellow cards so much, he's gone to play for a team that play in yellow. No prizes. No prizes there. But that was... Uh, play your yellow cards right what's the highest uh, in the Premier League then well I'll tell you what let's see if we can get the top five Lee Bowyer uh, Lee Bowyer's third it's pretty, oh, pretty good Gareth Barry Gareth Barry is first with 123 yeah, yellow cards what about some of United players play, someone like Scholes I mean. Paul Scholes is fifth with 97 there's another United you, player in the top five Rick Keane it's not it's Wayne Rooney with Wayne 102 Rooney, that makes sense. yellow mm. cards 102 um, and then in third place Lee Bowyer uh, 99 yellow cards. Um, never one, got, one of which never was, got the big 100. <laughs> well, he would have done if that um, fight with Kieran Dyer was yellow carded instead of straight red carded. He would have completed the century. It would have been brilliant for him. Um, so the top 15, we'll start at 15. Um, Patrick Vieira, Mark Noble, Nicky Butt, Joey Barton, Phil Neville, Kevin Nolan, George Boateng, <laughs> Lee Catamol, Robbie Savage, Scott Parker, Skulls, Davis, Boya, Rooney and first place. Gareth Barry. Or BT Sport Pundit, probably. Like an episode of Premier League years. <laughs> yeah, brilliant stuff. Yeah. This is Football Social Daily. This is the Premier League Review Show. We'll be talking about Jack Grealish's booking for diving when he didn't even dive after the break. We'll also be talking about some of the other games that happened over the weekend, so don't go anywhere. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Premier League Review. 
Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a show seven days a week. It's a really quick way to get all the latest news and opinion on the best league in the world, the Premier League. And I say it's the best league in the world, but sometimes I wonder whether we've got the best referees in the world as well to match it. <laughs> Stephen's laughing over there because Terrible. he knows that it's not true. Now, I'm McCorn here alongside me. We've got Johnny Sharples, we've got Stephen McInerney and we've got Alex Hilton. Let's talk about Crystal Palace versus Aston Villa. Crystal Palace, just Roy Hodgson, just steadily going about his business and picking up up Premier League points and I said I was worried uh, a few weeks ago about Crystal Palace about where their goals are going to come from maybe the the flow of goals has dried up I do think that they still need to fix that problem they did win 1-0 against Aston Villa but Aston Villa will feel hard done by because a goal that they scored was chalked off because Jack Grealish got booked for diving now I'm hoping you've all seen this because it's it's awful it's a terrible decision by referee Kevin Friend Jack Grealish surges into the box if you haven't seen it and you're listening to the show he surges into the box and he jumps rides a challenge goes into another defender and as he's sort of going over the leg of the defender he actually passes the ball to a teammate who fires the ball into the bottom corner Jack Grealish then goes over and gets straight back up so firstly I don't understand how it can be a dive one because he's passed the ball to a teammate he doesn't look over he doesn't even look at the referee and he doesn't stay down waiting for the referee to make a decision he gets straight back up on his feet. He's, he's sort of almost like he stumbled or slipped. The same way you would, if you had slipped, you would get straight back up. And, and the referee's booked him for diving. It's a phenomenal decision. I mean, it's, it's one of those, isn't it, where we, we look at it uh, and you play it back and, and it, 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 it's so clearly not a dive by my book. But then Jack Grace, one of those players where he's got a reputation. Um, if you uh, pop into Twitter, Jack Grealish dive, try and find a highlight of it, you'll find just endless West Brom and Leeds fans uh, bringing up, well, well, he dived last year in our game and so on. And, that kind of up. and I think it's one of these where, I think Raheem Sterling had this for a while, where Sterling was getting hacked to pieces every single week, but because he dived three years ago, almost like referees seem hesitant to, to, to give him anything. Uh, Jesse Lingard had it and I think Jack Grealish is one of those players where referees must go into a game with an awareness that he's got a habit for it you see him go down in the box and you, you, you instinctively the referee's queuing up a, a that's, I mean, that's an excuse I mean that's just bad refereeing that's pretty oh, absolutely. like entirely like it's a shite decision it, it's terrible it's absolutely awful because I mean watched it again how, I watched it right now how quickly he gets back up it's like he's not he doesn't even look for a second he's he up follows, down he follows the track, uh, the, the ball route of the ball as well yeah everything about it it's just absolutely terrible. And like, once again, we go back to VAR. Like, that is once again the the definition of a clear and obvious error. Like, but how, it's not like, one of the things that they check. Why so. not? Why? Why are <laughs> yeah. we doing this? Why are we like now? We can't check that one, even though it's really obvious. And like, this is the thing. What if someone punched someone on the pitch? Like, well, we can't check that either. Well, this like, is the thing. It led to a goal, right? So the referee's blown his whistle as Grealish is going over. Now the decision is wrong. It's not a dive for the reasons we've just outlined in our opinion. But the the goal was scored. If the whistle goes before the player takes the shot, then the goalkeeper for the other team's got a case to stand there and go, well, you blew the whistle, ref. So you can't put it back and, and award Aston Villa the goal because the referee's made a mistake. That is kind of like a loophole in the system because you can't go, oh, oh hang on, go back there, Jack Grealish, and start the run again. And Because and, it's like, it's one of those things where you can't legislate for that. I mean, that's a terrible, terrible decision. But I mean, what if VAR was involved, what would the right decision be? Not award Jack Grealish a yellow card? And then what? Where, how do you restart the game? So I can kind of see this both sides. of the. I'm not saying it's the right decision. It's totally not, by the way. I'm just saying, like, you know, VAR gets involved there. How does the game restart? Because well, the, VR, the whistle goes, the VR just gives the goal, and that's the logical. But, but, the, but, the, but the, the whistle goes before. But did it though? The shot. Like, 
I mean, I saw the match day thing where they made jokes. The whistle wasn't even in his mouth, you know, like when apparently he went and all that kind of stuff. Like, if Gary Lineker was mocking and saying, I don't know how he managed to get his the whistle in the mouth there because he, it, like, it just literally, it, his hands were down by his side, like at the time of it. But I don't know. It's just, we're arguing about nonsense, aren't we? Yeah. Like, literally, yeah, if you think yeah, about yeah. what we're arguing about, yeah, this yeah. kind of stuff, it's like, why, if, he, if he's got VAR and he's not sure if he's died or not, why not just play carry on? This, and is, just this, this it? isn't really a VAR issue. This is a bad re- This is a bad yeah, refereeing issue. VAR doesn't v- fix be, it, ref. If, if VAR wasn't there this season, we'd still be saying how bad of a decision this yeah. is. Yeah, true. And we wouldn't be bringing up VAR and saying, oh, VAR should have fixed it. I think we'd it's... still be saying Kevin Friend made an atrocious decision to blow up as, as early as he did. Does um, it? Not become a VAR issue because it's there though, and it should be used for these things. Because the idea is coming to correct like really bad mistakes, and like, what's the point? Generally, what's the point of having it? It just makes it, situations like this even more frustrating because it could be solved so quickly, but they don't want to or they're refusing to. And it, to me, it feels like refereeing's got worse this season. I don't know how they've managed to do that given the tools they've got now, but it it does. And I'm not, I don't think I'm, you know, I'm exaggerating at all. But there was like four or five incidents of like shocking inconsistencies from the games this weekend alone to add to the other myriad of incidents that's already happened so far this mm. season. It just feels worse. It feels like. This is an instance of someone making a bad decision, but usually no decisions have been made at all because they're waiting for the VAR, which is then refusing to overturn them because they don't want to go against the referee. And it's just, I don't know. Do you know it, what it winds like... me up? Is is Mike Riley and his, and his gang in the PGMOL, or the, I can't remember what the, the full name is, they've always got an excuse. Why can't they come out and say, listen, one of our lads got it wrong? Why can't they? Mike Riley is like the, the knight in shining armour for referees. Referees are human. They make mistakes. Why can't they ab- admit? Why can't their chief, their leader, Mike Riley, admit that some of his lads are going to make mistakes? It's the same in any walk of life. We should. We've said for a while, I, I say we, um, people have said for a while that referees should come out after games and explain some of the decisions. I think that's not necessary and I think it puts them in that, the spotlight yeah. a little yeah, bit. I'm, and I don't, think, I don't think we should be doing that. But everything that's referred to VAR... They should possibly issue a statement after each match and say this went. This was referred to VAR, and this is why it was or wasn't given. These are the criteria it didn't meet, or we backed up the referee's decision. You sort of you're not making the the referee stand alone in the, in front of the cameras and explain his decision. You're putting out a, a thing afterwards, and it would help curtail some of the conversations, some of the arguments, and maybe it would help us understand VAR a little bit because better in its workings. I, I would love to know if referees would like to do that. Because I, I think a referee probably wouldn't want to stand in front of a camera and give a press conference. I don't think. Um, I, I, think, I think, think some. I think but, some definitely would. It's one of the few jobs where I think if you're a professional referee, you, you got onto that because you like football. I'm sure, like the rest of us, they get in and they don't like football. Well, <laughs> do you think more ex-players should be referees? Can they understand the I game to see better? It, but, but surely, surely, if you're, you're a referee and you go home and you watch Match of the Day, everyone sat there agreeing that you got the wrong decision, and you could. Like Howard Webb called up Five Live a few years ago uh, to basically correct them on something they said about him. What, uh, police so officers trying to preach someone? Really? <laughs> I'm surprised. Uh, but, you know, I think they must sit there and think, I would love, I'd love to actually explain why I made that decision and why I didn't book that player or, or why I thought that was a dive of Jack Grealish, and that's my interpretation of it, and explain it. Because I don't buy into the idea that referees don't know what they're doing or they don't understand the game because they are experts. And I've got friends who are referees at a lower level, and I can see how much work goes into it just to have people spit at you and tell you an idiot you don't know what you're talking about so I refuse to believe that senior referees at the Premier League level are making basic mistakes they're all human they're never going to have a 100% hit rate but I think the, the way that they're putting it in the media and Mike Riley coming out and saying well you know he, making excuses for them I think it, it, it 
makes promises that referees can't keep of 100% correctness, which is why it's so frustrating when they do make mistakes. And equally with VAR, there is so much ambiguous nature about how it should be used that pundits, managers, players, no one seems to actually agree what the definition of a clear and obvious error is, when the appropriate time to use it is and when it isn't. And referees don't seem to know. It seems to be used in, in different matches so inconsistently from referee to referee. It just feels like they've been given this tool which could correct so much but they've just been do you think they're complicating it because like well, oh don't use it if he's already seen it with his eyes and or don't it's like just, just look at it and go mate by the way mate you just missed something he's he hasn't died by the way he's got clipped oh okay goal yeah do you know, why, why can't it be as simple as that like you've got a bunch of referees why can't the referees in the room just referee in the way that someone else referees but they've got cameras like surely should they, they should apply the rules in the same way that they're doing it like, i just don't understand why it has to be only if he hasn't seen it only if it's on this kind of incident only if it's on only if it's a full moon at night only if it's you know it's yeah, just, yeah. it just seems like there's so many stipulations it, everyone everyone no one would be bothered if they're just like some controversial moment they just looked at it every now and then because that's what they're there to do that's uh, one thing that's certainly getting the gripes of many Aston Villa fans up and down the land this morning after they were beaten 1-0 by Crystal Palace let's move on to a, a different game Newcastle United versus Watford Johnny you're a Newcastle mm. United fan um, one thing that stood out for me wasn't so much the result the game finished 1-1 in the end it was the attendance of 44,157 at St James's Park which I just thought was exceptionally low for a yeah, where club you, like Johnny? Where were you? Yeah, for a club like Newcastle <laughs> that's what's that 8000 less than than the tent than capacity which is crazy for a club so well supported as Newcastle normally you can't move for a seat in St James's Park. No, I would say that everyone has the choice every Newcastle fan has the choice to to go to St James's Park or to not go to St James's Park and everyone will have their different reasons as to as to why they go some sure. some will be taking their children I don't think you can explain to like an eight-year-old child oh we can't go because because of Mike Ashley <laughs> and try, trying to explain that to, to like someone our age is quite difficult sometimes especially a non-Newcastle supporter because they see that you know he's making good returns he's spending 40 million pounds on strikers and that's all rosy so if if you want to go, go. If you don't want to go, don't go. But I think, especially on television games, you should try and get the attendance as low as possible to embarrass Mike Ashley, and to say this is this is what we've got to do. Or, or you know, if you want to go, don't turn up until like ten minutes into the match so that the stadium looks empty, or you leave early or on purpose. Everyone walks out at the same time. Because because we're not happy with the regime, we're not happy with the promises he's made and all the promises he hasn't made, and he's broken it. We've we've got a rubbish training ground. We don't even have a swimming pool at our training ground. We have an inflatable thing like you have in your back garden in the <laughs> summer, and that's not an exaggeration. There's photographs on the internet of like Jack Colback sitting in a paddling pool <laughs> outside our training ground because that's what we've got, and he's not invested in it. And it's one of the reasons Rafa Benitez walked out because we've we've not got. The facilities that you would expect. St James's Park is a great stadium. It's a historic stadium. It's in the middle of the city. Biggest cantilevered roof in uh, <laughs> Western Europe, or <laughs> whatever the stuff. <laughs> it's a beautiful, amazing stadium, but it's, it needs a lot of work doing to it. And they painted bits of it black. And that, you know, he, he rubs his hands together and that sort of. He went to B and Q and bought some black paint. Didn't cost him that much. <laughs> Tried to buy B and Q while discount. he was there, probably. <laughs> But it's just not enough. And this, th- that attendance is, for all the talking on social media, because I follow a lot of Newcastle fans, follow a lot of you know people 
that have invested so much in the club over the years and they would like to see that as low as possible and 44,000 is still quite high. Obviously, not everyone's on social media. We live in bubbles and things like that. Um, But, you know, we just need to, to get the point across to Mike Ashley and two outsiders that are watching that match that that we aren't happy about the way that he's he's taking control of our club. He's making promises. He's telling us that people are trying to buy it in as soon as they make a reasonable offer. He ups what his asking price is. It's just a, a bad. It's always been a bad time to be think, a Newcastle fan since about nineteen ninety seven. But especially at the moment, it just feels anyway, like the worst possible um, time. Uh, the Newcastle fans could eventually accept Ashley. What would have to happen for that to? Happen. You'd have to sell. <laughs> We'd have to, you know, <laughs> have a wet round. What if he started winning stuff and he invested money and stuff and whatever? He's, not, he's, he's, he's starting off on, you know, and sort of negative, and he has to bring that back to zero before he can even start yeah. coming to a positive. So he's got so much groundwork to do before he can reach that sort of neutrality that you need to build up onto a positive and and it's it's difficult because he is he is spending 40 million pounds on strikers yeah. he is buying Almiron and you know St Maximine and people mm. like that and he is putting a bit of money in there but look at the players we've sold and you know we're just we're just replacing we're not you know creating a bigger squad you know Rondon went so he bought Joylinton Perez went so he bought St Maximine you know, it's just replacing like for like. It's not you know getting a bulky squad together with quality across the board. It, and it's it, I know and, and I know I'm speaking at a time where we've just lost Berry. Um, you know Bolton have just been saved, and you know Newcastle in the Premier League, and we're you know generating money and spending forty million pounds on players, and things are relative. And but it's just speaking as a fan, which is the only thing I can really do when it comes to Newcastle. It's frustrating, and I have sympathy for other clubs. Um. That, that complain about their owners, but it just feels like he, he has he has no no way of knowing what he's doing, and he just he can't see what needs to be done. It's so frustrating because I think if Ashley played it differently, he could be much more popular because he is doing certain he, he things. Does, he doesn't to care the about club. popularity, though, but he doesn't does he? care. And I think what what is amazing is as well is how much Mike Ashley is worth. The money that he actually makes from Newcastle United. Is like piecemeal. Like it's the, to his general net worth, the actual revenue that he's coming in. Like he can't walk the streets of Northeast England. He is that unpopular. The equivalent is me becoming such a controversial figure that I can't walk around in Manchester for like. Some of the opinions I, 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 you're giving on this podcast about <laughs> Sheffield United. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. The is like not been able to work for like a few hundred quid. Like it's like it. It's almost. And what's bizarre is that when he bought Almiron in, in January. You look at that and you go, "Oh, great! Like he's bought a promising twenty million pound, twenty five million pound record, et cetera, That's great, but it was done in such a way with like contempt, like almost like a begrudging husband after a row. Like, right, I bought you some bloody flowers, so you can't be angry at me now. But it's like, <laughs> it's if, if, like... if the wife had been asking for those flowers for eighteen months, and this is the first time that he'd bothered buying them, and he bought them from. <laughs> the garage. I'm not going to disrespect Almiron because he's. You well, know, I want to talk about him in a second. Um, well, same same goals and assists as um, Martin Dubravka, but that's a different. <laughs> okay, well let's talk. Well let's talk about Almiron now what because Christ. he needs a goal, Johnny. He needs a goal. He run his heart out. He run. I was going to say run his little heart out. He'll run his heart out for you. He does. He runs his heart out for Newcastle, but he hasn't scored. No assists. That's what you're expecting from a player when you sign him. That's what you're expecting from Almiron when you signed him. Am I right? Is that unfair for me to say? I think I think he he hit he he did hit the ground running and he came in and had a, such a positive influence over the overall team and he really sparked well with Rondon and Perez and obviously having Benitez there who 
is a hugely respected manager, but he's also a Spanish speaker that can sort of get in. And we had uh, Federico Fernandez there. We had um, Javier Manquillo there. And these are all Spanish speakers that would make him feel adjusted and welcome and into a completely new environment. And then on the pitch, yeah, his, his purchase sort of, Ran, you know, Perez suddenly came into the great form that got him a Leicester move, and Rondon came into great form, and Almiron was part of that front three. Quite the China move, yeah. Well, yeah, and then I can see where you're going with this. He's gone, he's gone from a Spanish speaking manager and a lot of Spanish speaking players in the squad to Steve, to, to Steve, Steve Bruce. Bruce. <laughs> but he also had a bad injury, and I don't know if he's. And then he went to the Copper America with Paraguay, and I think he is sort of trying to find his feet again, and now he's finding his feet in, you know. A different position. He's been asked to play more of a centre forward, but now Bruce has sort of switched back to the the formation that um, Benitez was playing, and hopefully things will will spark up. But he sort of we need we only have a strong eleven, and not even then it's not that strong, and it's not really eleven good players. <laughs> but you know, if he if if St Maximin gets injured, we don't know how good he is yet, but Atsu's coming in. And Atsu's actually hit the ground running, but if Atsu was to get injured, then Muto comes in and we still don't know how good he is. Sure. And then if Jolinton gets injured, we've got no one. Yeah, yeah. So I think Amaron doesn't, yeah, doesn't know who he's going to be playing with mm. and, and things like that. And I think he is trying hard. And maybe maybe at the moment, and it's a cliche to get your bell ready. I'm ready. He's probably trying a bit too hard <laughs> um, <laughs> to prove himself. Um, and... You know, I think he just needs to relax. And it's a shame that we got knocked out of the Carabao Cup. You've been playing okay. Newcastle have been playing okay. I mean, they started badly with with Watford scoring. Will Hughes scored, Steve, and it was a a poor defence. I'd say it was a defensive mix-up between Dummett and Lascelles by the looks of things. I mean, it was a a dodgy deflection, and there Hughes was to tuck the ball home. Uh, But what about Watford? Because they're still without a win in the Premier League this season. I think I'm right in thinking that, that, you know, just the one point puts them towards the bottom of the table, along with Wolves, who haven't won a game yet this year in the Premier League. But yeah, Javi Grazia said, uh, we're now walking. We need to start to run now in terms of how Watford uh, are treating this season. He was rather smiley and uh, and quite upbeat considering his side are, are probably looking slightly, unfortunately, at, at trying to get themselves out of trouble so early. It's early season. Like, um, it, teams like Watford, like um, I think it's because they did so well last season, or especially getting to the FA Cup final, that kind of stuff. And there's a bit more expectation on them this year. And there's, there's always... Um, it's very hard for teams basically when they have a season that's deemed really good, like Watford's was, to actually then follow it, uh, especially when teams around have spent a lot of money and that kind of stuff. Uh, I think they'll be okay. I mean, they're currently you know, two points at the bottom of the Premier League, but they'll they'll start picking up some form, start picking up some results. Teams around them will start uh, start losing that kind of early season energy. They'll kind of grow into the grow into season a little bit, and I still think they'll probably finish around thirteen, twelve, something like that. Um, they're a good team, got some good players. It's just. Uh, some teams start slower than others, you know. Um, I think at some point they'll go on a, a, a run of like winning five games out of ten or something like that, and they'll be totally fine. It's just, it's just it's a slow start, basically. Okay, let's move on to West Ham United against Norwich City. Um, Daniel Fark said something in his post-match interview after the uh, the defeat to West Ham, which quite annoyed me. But I'll touch on that in a second. I want to talk about West Ham. Is it starting to click now for for Pellegrini? Do you think, Alex? Because Sebastian Haller, the, the big striker they signed for forty odd million quid, he's looked like a, a real handful so far. And I think Pellegrini was concerned at the start of the season that maybe it wasn't quite falling into place for him. But certainly on the performance against Norwich, it th- looked like things started to come together a bit more. Great bit of business, um, great signing. A player that is what you want from a player like that that they've brought in. Um, 
you know, that, 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 that's going to instantly impact and looks like he's blended in straight away. Um, Pellegrini, man, as a Manchester City fan, uh, I think he's underrated by City fans and fans at other clubs. Uh, there's a myth <laughs> that he was forced out at City. Um, that's the case. But his greatest legacy at City, I think, is that under Mancini, we had a team of arseholes and Mancini knew how to control them for the most part. But you have players like, you know, Balotelli and Tevez. De Jong and, in the middle. Yeah, and like, you know, that were tremendous players. And we had this kind of like team of gits, but would play like gits and, and would get results. <laughs> but Pellegrini was Mr. Nice Guy and sort of recognised that there was all these problematic players. And with the exception of Yaya, who... I don't think the team was as problematic as you're saying, really. I, d- I don't think so, but it was like a perfect cocktail. But I think Pellegrini didn't like that. And one by one... He moved these players on and just got rid of them and brought in much more manageable players, players that didn't have massive egos, players that could play in a squad that was rotated and got his sort of quieter boys in and still delivered results. And I feel like with West Ham, he's doing something similar at the minute. And he's just quietly... West Ham have had a series of managers in the last few years where they, they come in and promise the world and try and change everything. And actually, it just sort of fizzles out, sort of a la David Moyes, for example, or whatever. Um, whereas with Pellegrini, I don't think he's made any grand promises... I think he's just going about it. And Pablo, uh, I don't know how to pronounce Fornals. it. Fornals, is it? I'm sure this is Spanish. But, it? but <laughs> se- se- what is he like? He's, he's young. He's got a good record. He seems to have gone under the record uh, radar of the top six. And that's a player that, if he has a couple of good seasons in the Premier League, could be worth double that. They're making sensible transfers. Yeah, Felipe opposed... Anderson played well against Norwich as well. He looked good as well. Yeah, for going for the old Andy Carrolls and what have you. That I won't West have a bad word said for. against Andy Carroll. Thank you. <laughs> Nothing wrong with Andy Carroll, but you're not going <laughs> to build lots, your lots team around him. Apart from all the things in, that are wrong with Andy Carroll. You might, but... be, you might build the old physio wing around Andy Carroll. Yeah. <laughs> there's going to be a room at St, uh, uh, the London Stadium, isn't it? The, the, the Andy Carroll <laughs> treatment room. The Andy Carroll ward. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be named after him. We've got um, a chance West Ham. I mean, yeah, the chance of being top six. Yeah, of course. And we were saying this as well. I mean, we spoke about earlier about the domestic cup competitions. West Ham are one of those clubs where, you know, they should probably be thinking about maybe making a tilt. I think for a they also have, for, in terms of domestic competitions, they have a bit of um, a squad now. So Yarmolenko's come back and he can come in. In yeah. centre midfield, you've got Rice and Noble and Wilshire and a few others. I think the question marks over probably the full back still. Um, Fredericks and Cresswell and Masuaku yeah. and Zabaleta, I think, aren't not sort of the, any younger. Is sort he? of the, they're not they're not getting younger. They're, they're <laughs> <laughs> not the same sort of quality that you have elsewhere in the squad. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they rotate in the cups and, and because there's players that will want to play um, in those competitions. So hopefully they'll give it a good tilt. Um, Daniel Farkanoid me in his post match. Uh, press conference or his post-match interview with TV broadcasters um, after Norwich's loss and the reason it annoyed me was because he, he was I don't think he's used to losing he's gone into Norwich City and he's got them promoted to the Premier League and now he's seeing his side not play that badly but getting beat in games which is going to happen in the Premier League first time they've lost three in a row since 2017 so well there we go yeah, that says everything so he's not used to it and I think that comes across in his post-match interviews he, he was kind of he looked a little bit sweaty and a bit flustered under the sort of the bright lights they put next to you when you're doing a TV interview and he, he was saying stuff like he started blaming VAR and he was like oh I don't want West Ham players to get sent off but you know we need, we need to look at these things and of course managers are going to talk about VAR this season. What annoyed me was when he started talking about the budget 
And he was like, well, we've spent less than a million pounds and West Ham has spent 80 million pounds as if that's an excuse for, for getting beat. Well, in that, if that's the case, Norwich spending a million pounds, every time he gets beat this season, what's his excuse going to be? Yeah. Oh, they've spent 100 million or they've spent... So, well, that's the way you're Norwich City and that's not being disrespectful. <laughs> I hope he does that actually every single game. That'd be great. <laughs> it would Literally be great. Just, he always it, brings on, on transfer market. market. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> at least it'll be consistent. Phone but up. They spend I just, I just 600 think, million. Sometimes you just got to go, listen, we were outplayed by West Ham today. I think it could have been a lot worse as well because I think Tim Krull, to, to rep another uh, former Newcastle player, played really well. <laughs> well. Pellegrini said he was the best player on the pitch, Tim Krull. He, he has those moments. He did it against Spurs a few years ago where he broke the Premier League record for the most number of saves, but he's also got games where his wrists are made out of crisp packets. Yeah, you don't know which Tim <laughs> Krull's going to turn up. And he'll also kick the ball out of play for a throw-in for no reason. Yep. He's one of them he loves. Classic Tim Krull. Yeah, he's good at that. Um, but yeah, that annoyed me a little bit. But anyway, good win for West Ham United there. I, I, sorry, just go out there and very quickly. I... I, I I think sometimes there's, there's method to the madness, though. Like, Mourinho is great at this, and, and Nigel Pearson at Leicester was immense at it. Is if you're Daniel Farkin at Norwich, you don't, I think, you're underdogs. You don't want your players to come away from the game where you go, well, we weren't as good as West Ham. Because that's the, the wrong way to do what Chris Wilder has done at, at Sheffield United. If they go into games thinking, we're not as good as West Ham, which is a team where if you're going to stay in the Premier League, you need to be picking points up or look at those games and go, we can get a point here, we can get a result here. You don't want your players going into those games going, Excuses well, we're, already, not, we're yeah. not as good. It's much better that they think we should have won that game and we're capable of beating West Ham or capable of getting a draw and it was because of a referee or whatever. And, you know, maybe it's Daniel Fart trying to deflect in the boardroom and he goes, well, it's not my fault that we lost, so I'm... Do that in the boardroom though, yeah, that's what I mean. Like, But the, the media is a great way of communicating that. And also communicating it to your supporters. Norwich as well. aren't going to spend any money. No, 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 no that's but just, fine. But, but you know, communicating it to your supporters, and you go, look, the man, I, me, the manager, I'm not to blame. But they're not. They're, but they're not going to be disappointed in the fact they've lost the game to West Ham. I don't think Norwich fans. I think they're realistic enough to know that it's going to be a struggle for them this year. Not in August when you're 19th in November and fans are getting panicky. I think that changes. Okay, well, let's move on now to Everton versus Wolves, which is another of the games that took place on Sunday. A frantic start to that game. Three goals in 12 minutes. It ended up for finishing 3-2 to Everton, who have an excellent record at Goodison Park. I think they've they've not conceded until today in nine hours of football at their home ground. So, uh, Marco Silva, if they're going to be decent and, and make a tilt for the top six this season, then they're going to need to be strong at home. And it looks like they're showing signs of keeping that run going. I think Marco Silva's a very lucky manager to get the jobs he does he's obviously got a good record but there's still something about him and I'm probably going to regret saying this if any fans are listening not on Marco Silva he spent I think he spent money on smart players and I think he's got a good squad together um I wish Keane had scored today um I think he just to shut Graham Souness up as well because Graham Souness decided that he had an attitude problem because he was a victim of racism in Italy um (laughs) but uh awful yeah, I think they've got a good squad together. I sort of think that someone that isn't Marco Silva would get a lot more out of them. I don't know okay. who, so um, but I don't have to decide who because I'm not in the uh, <laughs> Everton boardroom. But I do still think there's question marks over, not to go all Paul Merson, but I do think there's question marks over him still. Mm. Um, and that is a good squad he has. But I, I sort of also think that he might be the draw for a lot of these players. Um, well, how he's got these links with Barcelona all of a sudden you know, with Yerry Mina coming over and Dinya coming over and Gomez and all these sort of players. And he certainly was the reason Richarlison went there as well. So, yeah, but I think top top six is possibly, with the way Leicester look, is probably too much for Everton. Um, only Bolton Wanderers had scored fewer goals 
in the entire Football League this weekend um, than Everton. Everton with just the one goal. Bolton, who haven't scored a goal yet this season, um, <laughs> um, uh, were the only team with fewer. So there wasn't that much of an expectation at Goodison Park that there was going to be a goal fest. But three goals. Um, Richarlison with two. How how good is Richarlison, Stephen? How good do you think he can be? It's very good. Um, I think he just... Um... He's one of those players that like, needs people to play with, I think. You know, the right people around him. And um, he's why I think he always looks better with Brazil because um, some players obviously do just kind of look better with certain players like with uh, at a high level. But um, he kind of moves around a lot as well where he plays for Everton. And he's obviously very, very talented. And then obviously Marcus Silva knows how to get the best out of him and all that kind of stuff. Um, he, he's just a bit of an... He, he frustrates me a bit because I, I see obviously his skill and he can sometimes you'll just you know curl one in from 20 yards or whatever. He's got the ability to do that. But he just... I think he drifts far too much and I feel like there's so much potential there. Yeah, I thought like, he put in a great shift today. To yeah, he did, he did. I mean, a great That's why it frustrates me though because he was very goal. good. Mm. Uh, he's just so up and down. But he's the kind of player that you, he, if, if he's end of the season, he's got 15, 20 goals. He's, Everton would have had a good season, almost yeah. certainly, because he that would mean he would have been influential. The players would have kept him involved. Um, I do think he re- relies on his teammates a little bit too much at times to kind of bring him into the game and stuff like that. But um, he's a very good player. It will be got off the mark as well, which yeah. is huge for them. Delph was fantastic. Yeah, all the three match. players. Um, um, yeah, the new players that were Kean, um, Iwobi, and Delph all made their. Uh, first starts for Everton. So, I mean, that's good signs trying to bleed them in, I think, Marcus Silva. It looks, doesn't look good for Wolves, though, does it, at the moment? Well, yeah, They're let, struggling. Well, let's talk about Wolves. They're, uh, along with Watford, the only team not to win yet in the Premier League this year. So, disappointing for them, but obviously their eyes have been on the Europa League and qualifying for that mainly over the last two weeks. Which is, is great to see as well. And the atmosphere at Molyneux uh, when they got past Torino um, w- w- was great to see because we've seen other teams qualify unsuspectingly for Europe uh, Burnley a couple of years ago and then get knocked out in the qualifying rounds and not make the most of it. Uh, Wolves are a massive, massive club that have got European pedigree and uh, people forget that. And I thought the fact that they're back in Europe will be great and they seem really up for that adventure. And, um, you know, Nuno Santo, it seems to take it seriously, which I'm really looking forward to seeing Wolves in Europe this year. Uh, I don't think anyone expected that it would have no effect on the Premier League. Um, their squad's whilst very high in quality, is low on quantity, and they are going to struggle in the Premier League. I, I, by pure quality in their team, I think they will stay up. They've got too many good players there that they will grind out results. Um, Everton is a hard place to go at any point, whatever form Everton are in. So I don't think they can be judged too much on losing today against an Everton side that were immense in moments as well. But alarm bells will have to um, be rung. Okay. Other results in the Premier League this weekend. Early kickoff on the Saturday was uh, Manchester United or Southampton against Manchester United. That game finished one apiece. Daniel James with a good goal for Manchester United, um, but weak defending from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's side, uh, who conceded from a set piece or at least a, a set piece style situation. Vestergaard with the header to uh, draw Southampton level at St Mary's. Um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer said after the game, "It's not a dip in form." It's a dip in results. It's a, co- a continuation of last season's form. So I, I don't understand what he means. It, yeah. what, <laughs> no, I don't agree with him at all because I watched the game and he said that they played well. I don't think they did. Like, they started creating chances after they went down to 10 men. Like I'm, I'm just not buying it at all. I They're just don't stagnant. get the comment. It's not a dip in form, it's a dip in results. He thinks well, they're playing is, well. That is a dip in form, isn't he, it? He Does he mean playing well, they're like, playing good football? But the results yeah. have been unfortunate. But I just don't agree with him at all. It's like, it's the thing. Um, they let Southampton back into the game. Southampton were largely on the up until they got the guy sent off. And um, I think United look very, very, very average at the moment. Um, mm. And I think they look around the, the likes of 
uh, Southampton. They look around. They, honest, I'm not just saying this as a city. But they do genuinely look <laughs> like agree. a team that's going to be around eight or something like that at the moment. They look. They don't look like um, they have the. Uh, they don't even look like they have cr- the creativity of a Chelsea at the moment. To me, the team's still very much looking for an identity. And United, uh, they look. Uh, they've been dragged back into the form at the end of last season, and Summers, you know, it was a big healer in that in that front. People forget, you know, because you sign players, but yeah, they were first they game were, win over Chelsea as well. Yeah, and that was a Chelsea as we know now. It's got massive yeah. fundamental flaws in the way they play at the moment. I think they look poor, um, and this lot of the fans have been kind of sagging them off. Like Rashford got slammed again, on, you know, on Twitter, like largely uh, kind of blamed for the poor performance, that kind of stuff. And they're, they're, mm. they're, you look at their forward options; it's really, really. I didn't. I honestly didn't think I'd see a United forward line as weak as it has been in my lifetime. And at the moment, it's just generally that it's poor. non-existent. Isn't it's it? Rashford, Martial. Then you've got the likes of um, Greenwood came in. Greenwood, like. uh, Pereira, Daniel James. He's done very well, admittedly, so far. But he's just you know he's a very much an unknown prospect at, at Premier League level. Then you've got you know Chong and. They've got a bunch of kids, really, uh, alongside no real natural number nines. Like Martial and Rashford, neither of them, I would say, are a definite out-and-out number nine. And it, it's an injury away from a genuine crisis from them. Mm. Um, and I still don't... I just think they've got a long, long, long way to go. I was waiting like, for you to say the old classic cliche, if you can't win with, anything with kids, so I was waiting for it to come. <laughs> but it was, <laughs> no shades of uh, Alan Hansen over No, I don't actually believe that's true. The thing is, I think you can, but I don't think the kids are good enough. That's the problem. <laughs> um, let's move on to Leicester versus Bournemouth. Finished Leicester City 3, Bournemouth 1. You were waxing lyrical about Jamie Vardy's goal, Johnny, before the good show. Good goal, wasn't it? I know, Route 1 never looked so good. It was. <laughs> he can. The thing about Jamie Vardy is he can score every type of goal under the sun. He's just... He can smash him from, like, 30 yards. He can chip the keeper delicately. He tap can ins, tap yeah. ins. He's got all sorts about him. And it's sort of... Obviously, the part of the big Jamie Vardy story is that he came to the Premier League quite relatively late for his age. But it just makes you wish that someone had found him sooner. Yeah. And he'd, he'd have, you know, hit over 100 goals by now. And he would have had that level of coaching that's made him as good as he is. He might not have had the workmanship that he obviously got through, you know, the lower leagues, but he's he's a phenomenal player. Um, and he's definitely had the same hairstyle since year 10. Yeah. <laughs> he's definitely looked like that the whole way. He's a good start as well. He scored more goals than anyone else in the Premier League since Brendan Rodgers took over. So he's the most informed striker since Rodgers joined Leicester. So he's just banging him in. Absolutely banging him He has a really him. good supply line as well now. Yeah. I think the, the reason that he was so good when they won the titles because he had Mares with him and all Brighton was obviously mm. in great form. And now he has Perez and Madison and Telemans and, yeah. and, and all those around him, Harvey Barnes as well. Um, so and the fullback's bombing forward. Yeah, yeah he's, he's, they've, I don't know if they've necessarily necessarily sought to build the team around him and play to his strengths but um, their, their recruitment has yeah. been amazing for him and for the club Yeah, good fantasy tip as well Jamie Vardy just quickly Tielemans did score his first uh, goal of the season for Leicester against Bournemouth in the 3-1 win but he should have been sent off as well but if you're asking me there was a foul that looked rather suspicious top six I reckon by the way Leicester definitely I'm all certain I uh, I predicted them to much criticism to finish above United this year. I agree with you. My, uh, but I, I think they're a better team. On current form, you can see it happening, that's for sure. OK, then Manchester City 4, Brighton 0, and then we'll talk about Liverpool 3, or Burnley 0, Liverpool 3. Uh, but Manchester City, two Manchester City fans in the studio right now. Um, routine win, but you did see Imerick Laporte limp off, which oh, was not no. good uh, news. Stretched, stretched, not limping. Um, yeah, yeah, not good news at all. Uh, no update yet, I don't think. No update from the club yet. Um, it looked fairly serious. 
Um, huge shout out for Fernandinho dropping in at centre half. You're going to be giving Martin Demichelis a call to get him back in at centre back. <laughs> it's a company at this rate, given <laughs> yeah, how he's going to land um, But yeah, not good signs for Manchester. Not good there. signs at all. I mean, Fernandinho was exceptional coming in, and actually it was Mascherano-esque um, playing out, and it looked like he looked like a centre half. Uh, made a, a great sort of clearance almost off the line as well. Um, yeah, it's, it's nervous. Pep Guardiola called him the best left-sided defender in the world. What I will say is for City it, is that it means that we've now got uh, Mendy, uh, Stones, uh, Laporte, Sane, uh, and Jesus all out injured. That would uh, cripple most sides. I think if you took five players out of Liverpool or Spurs or Arsenal, Chelsea, United, um, I don't think you could do that. Um, and I, I think it's going to be it's a challenge that no one is talking about that City now face, actually. Most of the clubs will call that a crisis. I think to an extent, when the Champions League kicks in, if those players aren't back and fit and ready, Stones hopefully should be back in a couple of weeks. Yeah. But it, it will be problematic and it might mean that you're going to see the same 11 playing week in, week out. We've got away days in Zagreb and Donetsk. Yeah. Uh, is this not maybe where you think, you know, Felipe Sandler, this is the sort of player you think, oh, you know, Am I right in thinking he went out on loan? Again? Alone, so, yeah. um, so uh, you know, to be fair, is that not the sort of player you think that that's why he was there last season, just in case of a crisis? But I suppose you can't ever predict these things. There's a few toasting under a bio. I was really campaigning to stay in the um, stay with the squad this year as the fourth choice centre half. Uh, he's gone out to Blackburn Rovers. Um, Eric Garcia, I think, has played two professional games. Yeah, um, one against Burton, I think, last yeah, season. Yeah, so I would, uh, you know, it'd be great if he got some minutes, but it's certainly not a player so young that you'd want to rely on. We'll see him do his usual pep thing where he converts someone or something. Walker probably end up being a centre back with Cantelo on the right or something. He'll do something like that, I reckon. Yeah. Fernandinho will end up putting the shift of his he, season or something. He does seem to expertly convert players. I want to say, by the way, Brighton, I thought we were really good, weirdly. I know they got beat 4 0, but they genuinely, like, they played, they caused City problems, created a few chances. Um, and I liked it. Uh, as Pep said, they probably could have lost four 0 even if they defended, you know. But the fact that they went there and the fact that they're obviously got that commitment to attacking football, you're kind of like sharpening the senses for the next game that's winnable, you know. Obviously, no one expects Brian to get anything at the Etihad, but I like the fact that they thought, you know, we'll give it a go anyway because we're we'll probably going to beat. We sit back and defend, and mm. they got beat anyway. But they still showed they can create chances against <sighs> a good team. I, th- I thought uh, if they hadn't conceded first minute. They had no other option but to go for it at that point because they were already one 0 down in the first. Yeah, it's not great, but, but teams, I, they, I thought they were really poor defensively. I thought, yeah, yeah, definitely. Like it, it should have been three or four at half time. David Silva missed um, a, a, a sitter or an open goal. Then you had Aguero put one just past the post. De Bruyne put one just past the post. I thought, and it was actually, interesting. Uh, when it was one 0 on forty minutes, I was thinking. This is actually the sort of game we're going to end up drawing it because we should be three or four in the lot. Session I thought 55% session for City for once. How often do you see stats that low? No, it's not often, is it? Yeah. And, and I thought it was interesting, Graham Potter deciding to put two absolute giants of defenders in Dan Byrne, who I think is well over six foot five, and Adam Webster, who I think is just about six foot five, against players like Aguero and David Silva and Bernardo. Manchester City don't play the ball in the air. You don't, you don't need to play. I'm not saying to discredit in Byrne or Webster's footballing ability. Both players can play with the ball at their feet. They've proven that in the Championship over the last season or so. But, you know, I just thought it was an interesting selection defensively from, from Graham Potter. Yeah, and also they left uh, Rodri, our probably tallest player, um, who's in fact probably the only player over maybe 6-1, 6-2, uh, unmarked in the box, which I thought was... <laughs> I got excited because City never score from corners and I thought maybe this is the one player we've finally got. Um, what I will say yesterday, unsung here on the pitch, Riyad Mahrez. I thought he was exceptional. Uh, best performance I've seen from him in a City shirt. Uh, every time he got the ball, he looked exciting. He's boxer tricks, confuses defenders, uh, sold the fullback three or four times. We know that Morris can do that. That's exactly the sort of player that we bought from Leicester. But what he has added to his game is the amount of running off the ball that he did and also chasing defenders down, applying pressure. He made two or three interceptions. Um, and that's just stuff that you never got from Mahrez. And he actually, I thought yesterday, looked like a Pep Guardiola player. 
Yeah. Um, and no more is Real Madrid the square peg in the round hole. And I'm really, really excited about seeing him play again. Cool. City win 4-0 against Brighton and Hove. Albion, that puts them on 10 points. But top of the league, Johnny Liverpool, they went to Burnley. Turf Moor won 3-0. Um, Jurgen Klopp has been quite sort of... Um, annoying. In, in, annoying. Well, <laughs> your words, not mine. That? Interesting, I was going to say, in his comments that he's made this season, he said it was going to be a quiet summer transfer window. He was right. He said that uh, hitting the heights of last season was going to be difficult. Um, but maybe he's just saying a few mind games. I mean, managers do like to play mind games. Liverpool have looked red hot so far, I think. I think they're one injury away from a crisis. I think they're starting... They're <laughs> yeah. starting... Which player? Because Alisson's out. So. Van, Van Dijk. Um... Robertson. Maybe. Uh, right, yeah, Robertson maybe and any of the front three. Um, Origi's obviously got cult hero status, but truth be told, he ain't at the level of the other three and he's probably not... A, the top six level really um and you know i think across across the center midfield they've certainly got depth now um but yeah one in van dyke gets injured and, and i think they've got some serious problems matips um last time i was on here i said that van dyke needs a proper partner i think matips played quite well um so far this season i think he's been uh, very good but an injury to van dyke and gomez and matip as a partnership do you drop Fabino in there, Lovren? Uh, well, I think Lovren, uh, I, I was thinking Lovren there. might actually leave by tomorrow. The transfer deadline is obviously Monday, the 2nd of September. Um, there's been a lot of rumours about Lovren going possibly to Roma or by Leverkusen. They've opted for Chris Smalling instead. So <laughs> um, one of the two, you got, you got a choice of those two. Um, uh, Kiana Hoiver, I think, is the other central defender, the youngster that, that Klopp seems to have a lot of faith in. So Yeah, but that, 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 the, the starting eleven, obviously... Like Stephen said, Allison's not there at the moment, but I think that's obviously only only City are anywhere close to that level. I think that starting eleven is beyond probably most most yeah. of the top teams in Europe as well. But but on scratch beneath that surface, and I don't think there's too much there. I'll probably regret saying that when you know Divock Origi's scoring five goals against Newcastle <laughs> um, after Mane's got injured. But yeah, I, I can't see. Um, but, you know, fingers crossed for them. Obviously, the two next to me won't agree um, that they keep a fully fit squad and we do have a good title race, yeah. um, similar to last season, that they, they push each other as far as they can. 3-0 Liverpool won against Burnley at Turf Moor. So we've reached the end of this Premier League review show here on Football Social Daily. Uh, I've been Nar McCorn, that's been Johnny Sharples, that's been Stephen McInerney, and that has been Alex Hilton. But before you go, it's, it's, your, it's your debut appearance of the season, isn't it? It's your first cap on uh, Football Social Daily for the season. It is. Which means we've got to play a game we like to call Sheffield Wednesday. Ooh. I'm excited. Ooh. Ooh, Sheffield Wednesday. Johnny had his first experience at Sheffield Wednesday the other week, didn't you? I beat Stephen. Yeah, I was terrible. And you're still, worse. you're still crying Wait, yourself Waking up in a cold sweat at night <laughs> just shouting Denver Bar and David Beckham. <laughs> <laughs> so the way this game works, if you haven't listened to the show before, and to explain to Alex, who I'm sure would like to know the rules before he gets jumped in at the deep end. Of course. Um, we pick a letter. And you have to name as many players that have played in the Premier League, past or present, whose surname begins with that letter. Sure. It's a 30-second timer. The pressure will be on. And trust me, you will feel it more than you realise as these two can testify. So I will press the timer. The timer will start. You'll hear the bleep when the timer starts. And then I'll give you the letter. And it's up to you to think of as many as you can. I've got a pen here to keep score. So are you ready? Yeah, let's go. ready for this? Right. So Alex Hilton... Football Social Daily, Shuffled Wednesday, your debut on the show for this season. Your letter is L. 
L, uh, Leroy Lita. Yep. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, okay. Um, I'm not. A- <laughs> He's gone. I've gone. Uh, uh, you have 15 seconds left. Got, uh, Laporte. Uh, <laughs> That's three. Um, oh, who's. Uh, Leroy Lita. He said he had to. Double L. Le Celso. Okay, we'll give you that. Oh. You've double Leroyed. D- so, double Leroyed. Le Celso, Le Tizier. Oh, mate. Le Lana, Lua Lua. It's so hard, isn't it? Just, I, I don't know why. There is loads. I, you, your mouth made the shape of an M. And <laughs> the words. That's the worst excuse I've ever heard. The words Matt Miazga. Uh, the American who is sat on the bench for Chelsea, I think he's on loan at Reading. I don't know why. I've never considered Matt Miazga before or after this moment, but your mouth just sort of looked like you were about to say M, and I was queuing up. I don't know what it is. If Matt, you if you're listening, ones, don't you? Like, you're yeah. waiting for just, me to say M, and you had a your head goes to like. The desk was at Bournemouth, isn't he? Yeah, that's a player. Well, yeah, I don't know. Jefferson Lerma. Did, did Leroy Lita even play in the Premier League? Yeah, for Red, yeah, Red Steve, Red Well, Red Steve Lomas, man. But Recently, there are certain players, like Benekophobi has never played in Scotland, but in my head, Benekophobi is a Hibernian legend based on <laughs> what? my football manager career. And I have to forget, Benekophobi is a Hibernian legend in my kitchen and my kitchen only. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of someone that's in 2070 on Football Manager and every player is a new gen, I have no idea who's who anymore. So. <laughs> <laughs> you got too much time. You're playing that much football manager. 2070. Thank you very much to Johnny. Thank you very much to Stephen. Thank you very much to Alex. And thank you very much to you for listening as well to this Premier League review show here from Football Social Daily. We'll be back all the way through the week. Every single day, there's a new podcast. So make sure you subscribe so you never miss another episode. Shane Long. So <laughs> uh, don't, <laughs> not again. Uh, don't forget, if you've got an Amazon Alexa uh, smart speaker, you can also find Premier League match reports and match previews for every Premier League game throughout the course of the season as well as having daily news updates on your club so if you support any one of the 20 Premier League teams make sure you ask Alexa to open Sports Social anyway that's it for now make sure you come back tomorrow we'll have more Premier League news for you but we'll see you next time Leroy Lita Football Social Daily subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode 